Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Over the past several hours, the governor of Chernihiv, uh, that's that city just northeast of Kiev, that the Russians conceded uh, that they would be, uh, they claimed that they were pulling back some of their forces from there. The governor of that region says that shelling continued in that city overnight and uh, that shelling continued in the outskirts of Kiev. Of course, President Zelensky saying that the, the uh, fighting continues in other parts of the country. The shelling continues in Kharkiv in the northeast and, as I mentioned, in Mariupol. So that feeds into the skepticism that you know many Ukrainians feel that this is just a repositioning of Russian forces. Is Russia actually uh, backing down from their earlier goals or just repositioning and uh, they're lying to the world once again? I saw some new drone footage of Mariupol that was just incredible. It looks like when those F5 hurricane or tornadoes hit a town and just level everything, like you can see the foundation. It's amazing. So to discuss the question of negotiations and a number of other interesting topics, please welcome to the show Major Mike Lyons, a decorated member of American Armed Forces, sought-after commentator on cable and broadcast networks, etc. Uh, Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be back. Uh, indeed, great to have you. So given what you have observed uh, from the Russian military, the Ukrainian military, the stalemates, etc., and the promises of negotiation and pullbacks, what do you make of the current situation, both militarily and diplomatically? Well, first and foremost, we cannot believe a single thing that the Russia uh, leadership says, not, not on any level. This stuff about uh, drawing back out of Kiev, going uh, north to Chernobyl, to me, looks more like a, a reorganization, kind of in a regroup in order to do a counterattack. They're getting away from a very competent 
guerrilla force that uh, the Ukraine military has put together. Uh, small units, uh, eight to ten individuals with javelins, uh, with, uh, with the kind of support that is just absolutely wreaking havoc on uh, Russian military units there, and they've just said enough. And so they, they've got to get out of there. Now, they're, they're going to give up places that they've taken with blood and treasure, which is just, again, unheard of that a guerrilla unit is able to do this to the Russian military. So what's happening up there, I think, think it's just kind of a reset to try to get those units offline because they're doing so poorly. In the south, Mariupol remains their primary objective. They have to have it in order to kind of complete that land bridge that goes from Crimea to the rest of the Russian Federation. And, uh, and maybe when they take that, maybe that starts some kind of negotiation as an off-ramp or so. But I wouldn't believe a word they're saying about scaling back any military operations. Well, if it just continues militarily, how do you see this playing out over the next weeks, months? How long do you think it lasts? I think it goes for months, and it, it plays out until Russia says enough uh, in that you know it, it feels it can save face, let's say, maybe can try to... Uh, you know, continue to pound down the Ukraine civilian, but it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. And it just gets back to that old expression about you can, you know, pound people into submission, but unless you're going to be successful taking it on the ground, it's not going to work. And they've just not been successful with the military units that, that are there. You know, for example, they're, they're not able to have what's called interior lines in the military. And what that are, that is, is the capability to reinforce units within poorly worked operations. All those units that are in the north and to the east right now can't help the units in the south because they're 500 miles away. They couldn't possibly get units and troops and, and equipment there with any kind of speed or urgency to, to affect the battle there. So, so Russia has failed from a strategic perspective on a military side. However, they're going to claim, they're going to try to claim victory some way, and if they claim it by taking that south and those cities along the Baltics or along the, the Black Sea, then maybe that's it. Well, we know you're not just a military analyst, you're a student of history, and it just seems like surrendering that territory to Russia sets a, a, a moral and practical example. It's just repugnant, just tough to take. It does, but what it'll do is it'll redefine now a new boundary, and I think that's what's going to be most important, um, and it'll at least stop the fighting, it'll stop the killing, so that there's a positive aspect to that. Um, but, um, I, I, you know, the West is going to move in very quickly, pretty quickly once it's safe to rebuild Ukraine. And um, that's going to be a now hard border between you know, Russia and the rest of the world. And let's hope that Europe and the rest of the world now creates the pariah that Russia needs to be and doesn't do business with them. I mean, again, there was no deterrence to keep Russia from invading Ukraine. This whole liberal idea of these countries getting together and if we're all tied together economically, they won't wage war on, on each other. It just didn't work out here. Uh, the, the, the Germans now are going to look for different ways to, to, to supplement their energy. They're not going to buy from Russia anymore. Now, Russia will get it from someplace else, India and China. But the, but the bottom line is, I think they've got to really do a tremendous job isolating Russia for a, a long time, for years, until their leadership changes. Uh, New York Times is talking about the question they're asking in the Pentagon is, how did we misjudge the Russian military so badly? You have any idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of reasons. First of all, it's not in our interest to over, you know, to undersell what they are because that doesn't buy us weapons in, in the Pentagon. That doesn't, mm. you know, we, so, so we have to make sure that we overestimate what their capabilities are. But all of the other factors that went into this, the fact that uh, 
They're using conscripts, the fact they don't have good leadership, the fact that they've not been able to really do airland battle or blitzkrieg by synchronizing forces from the air and the ground. Um, we, they, and they all bring mass to the table. They, at the end of the day, they still brought 200,000 troops into Ukraine and that alone. Now, we're watching them throw these troops, you know, literally into the fodder and, and just having them killed for, for no reason. But, um, but we're going to continue to underestimate our enemies as, as, a, as a matter of fact in order to overestimate our Pentagon budgets. I think that's a big part of it. Oh, that's interesting. But we all, everybody, I mean, Miss, Miss, uh, um, under uh, overestimated Putin. I mean, we all had this view of him being this crafty KGB genius, three dimensional chess, yeah. and it doesn't look that way at all. Well, no, unless I mean, though, unless yeah. his goal all along has been the land bridge along the south, along mm. the coast. I don't know. Yeah, I think he would have liked you know to take Kiev, change the government, and, and thought that possibly was going to happen. And and given. The distances. I would have thought that they would have been more successful in the north. They were they were prepositioned in Belarus. They had less distance to travel. They still couldn't get 50 miles into the into Ukraine and and take the city or even even really threaten it. They're only threatening it by the strategic weapons. So uh, there's another my one of my colleagues at the Modern War Institute, John Spencer, who's an expert on urban conflict and. We're talking about the Serbian conflict, and I'm like, John, it's not happened yet. We haven't, we don't have it yet. They, all, all that they've done is surround the city, and they're shelling it uh, from artillery and, and cruise missiles. That's not really urban conflict yet. I would have thought by now you'd have tanks in the streets, you'd have fighting, you'd have a lot more things happening inside Kiev, and it just just hasn't happened yet. Well, explain to people what a big deal it is. And NBC's now saying nine Russian generals have died. How how unique is that in the history of warfare? Unheard of, and and that's because these guys are coming down to the execution phase of what's happening, and I mean they're literally directing traffic. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, the fact that they're so close to the fighting, they they are likely being targeted. I I want. There's one thing we're providing in, in a way that's not talked about now is is level of intelligence to the Ukraine military that is probably in real time, and likely a lot of it has to do with where those generals are, as we know where they are based on our satellite technology and like we could read name tags and foxholes down to the ground there, right? So so I'm sure that we've passed a lot of that information onto the Ukraine military, and it's it doesn't surprise me that the special forces operators within Ukraine are targeting those general officers on purpose. Now, again, the fact that they have to be so close to the fighting just shows you how inefficient their military is because you know they have to feel that they have to lead that far. I, just, just beyond the pale to think that they've got to get down and, and literally almost direct traffic on, on things that are going down there. Uh, Major Mike Lyons, uh, last question for me anyway, Mike. Uh, we came across some really interesting and troubling analysis of the strength of the German forces that we talked about last yeah. week. Uh, yeah. Boy, you talk about a paper tiger there. Only one of right. one out of three warships is actually ready to sail, for instance. What is the state of, of NATO forces, and, and do you think there's a chance to whip them into shape anytime soon? Well, you, you, when you bring them all together, if you tie it all in a bow, it looks big and it looks great and it looks good. The problem is it's just not in one spot and it, and it wouldn't do anything. So let's say they attacked the Baltics and they were there. It would take NATO six months to muster the force to kick the Russians out of the Baltics or, or to defend or do anything like that. Yikes. The German military in particular, yeah, the German military in particular, I, I, the, the Russians have lost more tanks than the German military has operational right now. It's just, beyond, again, crazy to think how far Germany has gone. And, you know, remember the last guy, the last president said, you know, Germany needs to step up and, and get with the program. Well, they're finally doing it, and it took this threat from Russia to do it. And th th these are two cultures that have been at war at some point for the last, you know, 100, 200 years. 
so it just surprises me over this last generation with you know Angela Merkel about their reliance on Russian oil. They outsourced their energy to their country, and then still now they recognize the fact that they could be overrun in 50 or 60 hours. Now again, the, the military and the Russian side has shown us that they're probably not all that, and you know, and, and there's things. However, Russia has capacity. They have capability to shoot cruise missiles. They could land in Berlin. They could land in London. They could land in Washington D.C. anytime they want. Major Mike Lyons, military analyst. Mike, thanks so much for the insight. We appreciate it. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, to that point, it's been extraordinary to see public opinion in Germany change from their, you know, naive, unicornian, pacifist, everything will be fine stance to the German people waking up. I mean, and waking up in huge numbers saying, we've got to build the military, we've got to be strong. It went from 15% to 90% in terms of supplying arms to Ukraine. 15% in February to 90% now. Meanwhile, down the road in Poland, I just read enrollment in Poland's equivalent of the National Guard. It's a uh, a volunteer force of citizen soldiers. Uh, volunteers for that have septupled seven times as many. The, the droves and droves of Polish citizens are saying, hey, train me up, get me ready. If you ever need me, call me. Well, I would hope that would happen. Mm-hmm. If that were happening on our border, I would join up. You you look at you know you have the ability to turn on the TV and see what it's like for these people in Ukraine who've mm-hmm. lost absolutely everything, maybe forever. Yeah, if you're not willing to stand up and fight for that, <laughs> so to a very large extent, I see the countries in NATO waking up in a way that's really encouraging. My only question in the modern world is attention span. Yeah. Does that wisdom last? Yeah. What if a movie star slaps a comedian? You know. For instance. Armstrong 